Welcome to this week's episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Today, we offer highlights from articles and commentaries featured in Blood Journal that help expand our understanding of prognostic biomarkers in CLL, learn more about a streamlined analysis of the granulocyte transcriptome in myeloproliferative neoplasms, explore the role of neutrophil extracellular traps in adenosine deaminase deficiency, and examine the function of the plant homeodomain-like finger protein 6 in hematopoietic stem cell self-renewal. In a thought-provoking new study, Roberts et al. recently set out on a quest to discover biomarkers that are associated with higher response rates to venetoclax in patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL. The B-cell lymphoma 2 inhibitor venetoclax, the Bruton's tyrosine kinase inhibitor ibrutinib, and the phosphatidyl inositol 3 kinase inhibitors idelalisib and duvelisib share a similar indication for patients with relapsed or refractory CLL. However, in the absence of head-to-head comparisons, the selection of the most appropriate novel agent to be used in a given patient with relapsed or refractory CLL is currently tailored by general patient consideration, including coexisting medical conditions, preference of continuous versus fixed duration therapy, and drug accessibility. Independently validated biomarker studies performed in conjunction with clinical trials can help predict which relapsed or refractory CLL subpopulation are most likely to benefit from treatment with venetoclax rather than with ibrutinib, idelalisib, or duvelisib. The Roberts et al. study is designed as a retrospective observational analysis of the relationship between clinical and molecular typing data collected from four pooled phase one or two venetoclax-based clinical trials and treatment outcome in the setting of relapsed or refractory CLL. Rates of response, complete remission, or complete remission with incomplete hematologic recovery, known as CR or CRI, and undetectable minimal residual disease were analyzed for all 436 patients in the study, and the subset of 347 patients who received venetoclax as monotherapy. Univariate and multiple regression analyses were performed to identify the pretreatment factors associated with response rates and duration of response. Objective responses were documented in 75% of all patients, including 22% CR or CRI. Overall, 27% and 16% of the patients achieved undetectable, minimal residual disease in blood and marrow, respectively. Overall, the estimated median progression-free survival, duration of response, and time to progression were 30.2, 38.4, and 36.9 months, respectively. Similar efficacy outcomes were observed within the 400 mg per day monotherapy subset. For those who achieved CR or CRI, the three-year estimate was 83%. Duration of response was superior for patients achieving CR or CRI or undetectable minimal residual disease in landmark analysis. In multiple regression analysis, bulky lymphadenopathy greater than 5 cm and refractoriness to B-cell receptor inhibitor therapy were significantly associated with lower CR rate and shorter duration of response. Fewer prior therapies were associated with higher CR rate, but not duration of response. 
chromosome 17P deletion and or TP53 mutation and notch 1 mutation were constantly associated with shorter duration of response, but not probability of response. Thus, both pretreatment factors and depth of response correlated with duration of response with venetoclax. Patients without bulky lymphadenopathy, B-cell receptor inhibitor refractory CLL, or in adverse mutation profile, had the most durable benefit. In terms of molecular biomarkers, the key finding of Roberts et al. is that durable response to venetoclax-based therapy is more likely in patients having wild-type TP53 and NOTCH1 genes and mutated immunoglobulin heavy-chain variable region genes, known as IGHV, before starting venetoclax. Some of these biomarkers have been validated in other studies. For example, independent, real-world data collected outside of clinical trials have consistently identified TP53 status as a predictor of progression-free survival with venetoclax treatment, thus supporting the findings by Roberts et al. Interestingly, while this study showed that the presence of bulky lymph nodes is a biomarker of less durable remission with venetoclax treatment, this was not true in other studies for ibrutinib. This suggests that venetoclax and ibrutinib have complementary activity in clearing the disease across anatomical compartments. Ibrutinib appears to be more active in lymph nodes than blood. Conversely, venetoclax is more active in blood and marrow than lymph nodes. These observations are a strong rationale for testing in venetoclax-ibrutinib combinations in clinical trials. Of course, interpretation of pooled retrospective studies such as this one must be done cautiously. The potential for residual confounding remains a major limitation and can lead to significant overestimates or underestimates of effect size. In addition, Clinical trials have stringent eligibility criteria that may exclude elderly patients, patients with comorbidity, or socioeconomic barriers to care, which may result in limited external validity. In general, it's important that clinicians interpret ancillary biomarker studies with caution until the findings are validated in independent trials and or real-world cohorts. Our next segment focuses on a study by Shishlik et al., Modern DNA sequencing has redefined the diagnosis of myeloproliferative neoplasms, or MPNs, from being based on descriptive morphologic and clinical features to being based on molecular characteristics. Shishlik et al. describe a streamlined analysis of the granulocyte transcriptome of 113 patients with MPNs with the goal of detecting potential targets for immunotherapy. According to the study, approximately 90% of patients have disease-driving mutations in the JAK2, calreticulin, or MPL genes. The characterization of these mutations has provided insight into the pathophysiology of MPNs and has led to new therapies. Notably, the JAK2 inhibitor ruxolitinib ameliorates symptoms by reducing splenomegaly. Despite these advances, allogeneic stem cell transplantation is still the only curative treatment. It is well established that T-cells in stem cell grafts kill neoplastic cells, and complete remissions after donor lymphocyte infusions is strong evidence that T-cell-based immunotherapy can be curative. The challenge we face is to specifically direct the attack to the malignant cells to avoid harmful effects on healthy tissue. 
This depends on the ability to identify human leukocyte antigen peptide complexes that are specific for neoplastic cells known as neoantigens. By comparing sequencing results from neoplastic cells with those from healthy cells, somatic mutations that encode altered peptides can be identified. Additional analysis of messenger ribonucleic acid, or mRNA, yields information about expression levels, and computer algorithms that predict peptide binding to HLA are useful for selecting candidates that are likely to be immunogenic. Shishlik and colleagues show that analysis of mRNA from MPN granulocytes yields sufficient information about HLA haplotype and the mutational landscape to predict neoantigens for 62% of patients. This technique is a significant simplification compared with older methods, and the authors performed a number of control experiments to validate their approach. Analysis of mRNA from 20 patients with well-characterized cytogenetic aberrations confirmed that gene fusions were correctly identified. The authors also sequenced DNA from 77 patients to verify the precision for mRNA-based detection of somatic mutations. Finally, they generated synthetic peptides from candidate sequences and confirmed that many bind strongly to recombinant HLA molecules. This attempt to identify neoantigens in 113 MPM patients is both exceptionally thorough and reassuring. The authors confirmed and extended earlier results showing that calreticulin mutations give rise to candidate neoantigens in patients with essential thrombocythemia or primary myelofibrosis. Even more intriguing, mutations in the mRNA splicing factor, SF3B1, in primary myelofibrosis yield several mRNAs that encode altered peptides. Many of the aberrantly spliced peptides were predicted to bind strongly to HLA, and results from in silico analysis were confirmed by experiments in which synthetic peptides were tested for binding to recombinant HLA molecules. The finding is particularly interesting in view of a recent report showing that mutations in genes encoding mRNA splicing proteins are associated with immune responses in solid tumors. Thus, there is a clear rationale for pursuing transcriptomics analysis in searches for candidate neoantigens in a wide range of neoplasms. Deficiency of adenosine deaminase 2, known as DADA2, is a fascinating monogenic disorder caused by biallelic mutations in adenosine deaminase 2, or ADA2, on chromosome 22q11. The disorder is primarily characterized by childhood-onset inflammatory vasculopathy, early-onset strokes, bone marrow failure, and immune deficiency. However, Disease manifestations and severity vary considerably among patients, even in those with an identical genotype. In an extraordinary new study, Carmona Rivera et al. have uncovered the surprising role of neutrophil extracellular traps, known as NETs, as a potent driver of inflammatory cytokine production in DADA2. Pro-inflammatory M1 monocytes and macrophages are thought to be the source of tumor necrosis factor alpha, or TNF-alpha, but how TNF-alpha production is triggered in the absence of ADA2 is an important question that remains unanswered. 
Carmona Rivera and colleagues found that net formation by neutrophils, also called netosis, may be the missing link that translates ADA2 deficiency into macrophage activation and subsequent TNF-alpha production. Currently, most DADA2 patients with the vasculopathy phenotype are treated with biologics that target TNF-alpha, whereas bone marrow transplantation provides a curative option for patients with refractory disease or severe bone marrow failure. With a better understanding of molecular events upstream of TNF-alpha production, we may uncover additional therapeutic options for DADA2. To further pursue the mechanism of netosis in DADA2, Carmona Rivera and colleagues determined the requirement of adenosine receptors A1 and A3, reactive oxygen species, and peptidyl arginine deaminase for adenosine-induced netosis. Although it is not clear how nets activate macrophages, agonistic activation of adenosine receptor A2A downregulated net-induced secretion of TNF-alpha by macrophages. As investigators continue to unravel the physiologic function of ADA2 and the pathophysiology of DAD2, studies will be needed that evaluate the therapeutic potentials of targeting adenosine receptors and downstream signal pathways. The heterogeneity of DADA2-associated disease manifestations should be kept in mind because the Carmona Rivera study focuses primarily on patients with inflammatory vasculopathy. Cytopenias with a full spectrum of severity, including neutropenia that can be chronic and refractory to immunosuppression, have been described in DADA2 patients with or without inflammatory vasculopathy. This suggests that neutrophil-independent pathways may also contribute to the inflammatory response, although neutrophil abundance and netosis at the tissue level are not assessed by routine laboratory studies. Whether netosis and net-induced TNF-alpha also occur in DADA2 patients with bone marrow failure or immunodeficiency as primary disease manifestation will require further evaluation. Next up, we'll discuss a paper from Miyagi et al. on the role of the plant homeodomain-like finger protein 6-PHF6 in hematopoietic stem cell self-renewal. This is an attempt to further clarify the previously suggested tumor-suppressive role of this protein in human leukemia. Loss-of-function mutations or deletions targeting PHF6 have been identified by the Ferrando group in 30% of T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia cases, known as TALL. In addition, germline mutations in PHF6 were initially identified in patients with Bordeson-Forsman-Lehman syndrome, which is characterized by X-linked mental retardation of varying severities. TALL has developed in at least one child with BFLS. However, the functional role of PHF6 as a tumor suppressor gene in human leukemia remains largely elusive. PHF6 is chromatin-bound protein that recognizes histone methylation marks through its two-plant homeodomain-like zinc finger domains, but it lacks enzymatic activity and it might play structural roles in different protein complexes. Accordingly, recent studies show that PHF6 can bind the chromatin remodeling complex nucleosome remodeling and deacetylase potentially controlling the P21 gene and response to glucocorticoids in TALL. Nevertheless, 
PHF6 also participates in polymerase-associated factor I transcriptional elongation and binds to additional proteins, such as the bromodomain, WD repeat-containing protein 2, and plextrin homology domain interacting protein. This controls gene expression and crosstalk of histone acetylation and methylation 6 on enhancers. Characterization of the exact role of PHF6 in those complexes is a work in progress. The authors generated mice carrying a floxed PHF6 allele and inactivated PHF6 in hematopoietic cells at various developmental stages. The PHF6 deletion in embryos augmented the capacity of hematopoietic stem cells to proliferate in cultures and reconstitute hematopoiesis in recipient mice. The PHF6 deletion in neonates and adults revealed that cycling hematopoietic stem cells, or HSCs, readily acquired an advantage in competitive repopulation upon the PHF6 deletion, whereas dormant HSCs only did so after serial transplantations. PHF6-deficient HSCs maintained an enhanced repopulating capacity during serial transplantations. However, they did not induce any hematological malignancies. Mechanistically, PHF6 directly and indirectly activated downstream effectors in TNF-alpha signaling. The PHF6 deletion repressed the expression of a set of genes associated with TNF-alpha signaling, thereby conferring resistance against the TNF-alpha-mediated growth inhibition on HSCs. Collectively, these results not only define PHF6 as a novel negative regulator of HSC self-renewal, implicating inactivating PHF6 mutations in the pathogenesis of hematological malignancies, but also indicate that a PHF6 deficiency alone is not sufficient to induce hematopoietic transformation. In this case, the authors demonstrate a potentially critical upregulation of the JAK-STAT pathway and MIC targets, which could be exploited as a therapeutic vulnerability in PHF6 mutant leukemia. They also showed that PHF6 deletion lowers the threshold for oncogenic transformation in a mouse model of NOTCH1-induced TALL. Intriguingly, PHF6 and JAK1 mutations may coexist in TALL. Similarly, McRae et al. showed that PHF6 loss potentiates the proliferative phenotype of stem cells and the oncogenic ability of T-cell leukemia homeobox 3 expression in mice. Cancer stem cells are considered the cornerstone of therapy resistance, and these new findings associate PHF6 function with stem cell homeostasis, which might pave the pathway for further studies using leukemia stem cells. Thank you for listening. For more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast.